Hello and welcome back to Rocket Pod, a brand new podcast where myself, Harry Damon, James Cuss, and producer Peter Haynes are on a mission to find some of the most incredible visionaries from across the world, deconstruct their stories and share them with you, our listeners at home. And already on series two, we have been joined by the founder of my PT hub, Phil Carr, author, professional speaker and mentor, Daniel Priestley, the founder of Photobox, Graham Hobson, and last week, Dr. Laurie Marker, who is the founder of the most successful cheetah conservation fund in Africa. And on today's show, we are joined by award-winning young entrepreneur and founder of White 2 Labelling, Anthony Meller. Enjoy. Awesome. So, Anthony, good morning. How you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. How you doing? Yeah, all good. How's your week been so far? What have you been up to? Oh, busy. Um, it's kind of the week now where everybody's going back to face-to-face meetings, so running around, meeting a bunch of people I've not seen in a while, catch up with them, um, and then also some new prospective clients, big people, so it's, uh, it's all good. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, so just for our listeners, Anthony and I met about two years ago at a competition, well, through a competition called Young Startup Talent. Um, and I was invited along as a guest. Anthony was a finalist that year. Um, and sadly, he didn't win. But what I really admire about Anthony is that the year after he came back and he entered again. And not only did he get to the final, he actually won the competition. Um, so that's enough from me. But what I'd like Anthony for you to do is just to first of all, introduce yourself, um, who you are, uh, what you do, and then just set the scene a little bit for us. Go back to maybe your childhood, what your upbringing was like, and if you always had that spark and that entrepreneurial sort of energy for business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Well, I started my first business at the age of 18. Um, so I'm, I'm 22 now, turning 23. So it doesn't sound like a long time, but it definitely feels like a long time. I'll give you that. Um, but I started my first company at 18, and it was a sportswear clothing brand um the idea was was very it kind of came out of nowhere I, I don't think there was any given like specific time where I thought oh, I'd really want to get into business I was never one of those kids that sold sweets at school or, or anything like that I guess I just kind of I had almost this like mindset of if I put my mind to something then I'll I'll achieve it because I, I kind of just go all in with something um and I have a very like singular singular focus on on a task so I was like, oh, it'd be really cool to see someone wearing my clothing. Um, and I was like, it, it kind of started as a little bit of like a, uh, out of curiosity, it was like, if I were to start a business, how would I go about doing it? Okay, cool. I need a website. I need to find suppliers. I need to learn about materials. And before I knew it, after about six to seven months, I'd pretty much built up the foundations of, of like a minimum viable product. So um, I'd gone on Spotify, uh, Shopify, sorry, I'd use like the two week free trial to build a very basic website. I'd learned how to do so through just watching YouTube videos. And that's really been a staple in my career throughout the entire time, even up until now, where I've just become kind of obsessed with learning about something, go and research it, put it into practice, trial and error. Um, and yeah, to cut a long story short, I, I ran that company for total three years. Um, but throughout that process, I had a, a real problem with like my supply chain. So my suppliers weren't amazing. Um, they, they were okay. But there was a bunch of problems anywhere from lack of quality, lack of transparency, communication was poor, uh, would never meet deadlines, just a whole range of, of issues, really. Um, so I was like, there's, there's got to be a better solution. And it's, it's quite funny because um, I actually got off the phone to the owner of MISPAP at the time. And I remember I was at the airport because I was working at Heathrow at the time. And I was just on the phone to him and he was like, you know, why don't you look into white labelling? Now, for anybody who doesn't know what white labelling is, it's... Um, basically taking an unbranded product and, and putting your label on it now it's really really popular in like the supplement industry the skincare industry um 
and it'd been used in fashion. Uh, you know, you hear these, I'm going to call them out, these crap brands like Gildan and Fruit of the Loom. Um, but these are more like wholesaler, like businesses that are doing it more for like promotional work where there was no one who was really doing it for fashion branding and I couldn't find it anyway. So I was like, well, you know, I've kind of have somewhat some level of understanding of the industry. I know how to manufacture now. I've done it for a couple of years. I'd run a bunch of collections for my own brand. It's like, if I were to start this business, I think it could do well. The concept is there. There's a gap in the market. It's what people, it's what I need, certainly. Um, so at the age of 20 in 2018, um, I launched White Label Manufacturing. Um, and yeah, it went from an MVP, um, went off really, really well. Uh, for about four or five months after launching, I ended up leaving my full-time job just to run full steam into it. Um, two and a half years later now, here we are moved into a new premises, brought all of our services in-house. So we do all of our customization in-house now. Uh, we're employing people. Uh, just hired a new guy last Friday, actually. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been it's been an interesting journey. But to summarise myself, um, I've, I've run two businesses, both of which have been in fashion. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I ever had any sort of, like, spark when I was a kid. I just I just worked hard, really. Um, and if I if I liked something, I would I'd put everything into it. So you mentioned, um, yeah, thanks for that. It was really interesting. Um, you mentioned uh, the singular focus uh, that you have. Um, how has that impacted you? Can you talk a little bit more, expand a little bit about um, what that means to you and, and whether you feel that is a, a big part of your success? Um, what's your philosophy around focus? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess it, it's, it's good, but it also hinders me in some respects in the sense of if I enjoy something and I really like it, I will give it all of my attention in doing so. If I don't like something or I don't see the purpose of something, I'm not too interested in doing it. I don't give it all. I don't give it any attention. I don't really care about it, which is partly the reason why I was never too good at working in corporate businesses. I never enjoyed working for people because it was always, can you do X, Y, Z? Never really explained why. And if I didn't see the purpose of doing that particular thing, I'd always kind of shrug my shoulders and, and, and do it half-heartedly. Um, but as I said, on, on the flip side to that, if I am interested in, in something like, let's just say right now, my main focus is, is learning the process of embroidery, screen printing, heat transfer vinyl. How can we better become more efficient, produce better quality? So my singular focus at the moment is on, cool, let's go and get new pieces of equipment. Let's try this different material. Let's try this process. Let's do it this way. Let's figure out how we can what impacts what so if, if I take this material what finish is that going to give us in comparison to what we were currently using so I think the singular focus is has definitely been one of the key drivers to to my success because as I said everything I've done so far has been self-taught so my singular focus originally was okay let's build a website how do we build a website then it was let's source suppliers how do we source suppliers just going along that step ticking off each box until as I said originally I had a business almost without realizing because for me it was just i'm just interested in it let's learn about it interesting so um you mentioned you you've just um you have some employees uh, that are helping you grow the business when was the could you talk to us about the first time that you realized you needed someone else because it sounds like you're obviously you're multi-talented you've got your fingers in all the pies you need to understand you know you got you, you got that drive and that um, obsession to kind of figure things out on your own um what can you explain the transition when did you um i guess hire your first employee what at what point did that happen and also um how do you utilize your network uh 
for, for answers that you yeah, might need. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I actually have quite a funny story to tell uh, when I realised, I realised two things this day. One, I'm onto something big. And two, um, I need I need stuff. Um, was, <laughs> when was, I, I want to say this was sort of like um, probably the, towards the end of last year. So it must have been sort of September time. We had the biggest white label order we'd ever done. So um, white labeling is, is everything that we do in-house. So I'd sat here for, and I was still working on my flat at the time. So I was doing weeks on end of just in, in, like sewing in labels and, in and all this stuff. And it was trial and error. I went through so many scrap t-shirts. It was ridiculous. I was doing all of that. We finally finished that order. It was 22 big boxes stacked in my hallway, right? It should have been on a pallet, but I called DPD to come and collect it. So Anyway, we had all these boxes taped up, labelled, everything was ready to go. And we were on the first, I'm on the first floor of this flat. And DPD turned up and was like, what? Like, why have you got so many boxes coming out of a random flat? I didn't understand it. So anyway, we were offloading these boxes one by one. I was like stacking twos at a time, walking it into the hallway. He was putting it in the lift. And as we were doing that, this big Arctic lorry pulls up inside the front of the block of flats. And he's like, are you number 11? We're like, yeah. He's like, we've got a pallet for you. And this was a pallet of additional stock for the next order I had, right? So we're loading <laughs> 22 big boxes. I'm dripping in sweat, honestly. Loading these boxes into the lift, right? And then this guy comes and dumps this because the pallet wouldn't fit inside the main front door of the flat. So he's dropped this pallet off, smack bang in the front of the door. So we can't walk out. I'm lobbing bo these boxes over the top of this pallet to the DPD driver on the other side to load it in the van. Then I've got, after we've done all of that, we've finally got all these 22 boxes down. We've got a bunch of people in the flats just looking, going, what the hell is going on here? And then we have to, I have to rip open the pallet box and one by one walk these boxes upstairs. Finally, all of that done, sat down, <laughs> looked in the hallway, was like, we've just got rid of 22. We now have 18 more boxes. And I pick up my phone, I look, and I had seven missed calls from the business landline and 12 emails in the time that that had happened. And that's when I was like, wow, I, I need... Oh, <laughs> um, I was like, I need staff and I'm also onto something, but I'm not going to be able to capitalize on this growth and scale efficiently if I don't invest in the infrastructure. Um, so that has been the focus of the business for the last sort of three to six months. Excellent. Great story. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing. Anthony, I wanted to touch on something you mentioned earlier about MVPs. Um, now, Firstly, why is this? Why is that so important? Why is having maybe an MVP so important to you? Has been so important to your journey? Um, and what message would you give to those people that are maybe trying to perfect their product or service before they launch? Because something I read, I think one of the articles you shared, you definitely mentioned that. So I wanted you to just quickly delve into that and just share a bit more about why that's so important. And also perhaps talk about what an MVP is, because a lot of our listeners yeah. might not know what that, that means. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to, to start off, an MVP is a minimum viable product. Um, and anybody who doesn't know off the back of this, I'd encourage you to go and read The Lean Startup by Eric Reese that really yeah great book yeah, what an mvp is and, and how to implement it in business um i think the importance for an mvp for myself was that i didn't have much funding so when i started white to label manufacturing in 2018 i started with 40 pounds that covered my company's house registration my first month's registration on wix to build a website and one gmail account so the importance of an mvp for me was that i didn't really have another option i couldn't go in and pump tens of thousands of pounds into product or into equipment to start off just to test it but i think that that almost helped businesses in some way. Um, it forces you to be creative. It forces you to, to find problems very quickly, very efficiently without having to spend too much money. Um, and essentially you can just 
because a, a lot of a lot of people build businesses based off of their own assumptions without actually knowing if that's what the market wants or needs. So I know for myself, when starting white to label manufacturing, I was like, I could do with a white label supplier who just marketed things really well. Like when I Google clothing manufacturers, they come up, they send me a catalog, which is really straightforward and easy. I select the products I want. I send them the brand in 10 days later, the products in my front door. That's what I wanted. But I was like, do other people want that? So that's why I had to build an MVP to ensure that it wasn't just based off of my own opinion and what I was looking for. But one, there was a market there. And two, the market there was large enough to actually build a, a decent business. Um, so I think that's the important importance of an MVP. And I mean, again, touching point on, on a previous podcast, you guys had the, the founder of my PT hub. He mentioned MVPs are different for different people. So if you've already got a lot of funding um, and you've already got a lot of kind of, you've got a large network, your MVP might be someone else's entire business. Whereas if you're just starting out getting into the industry, it might literally be the bare minimum, the backbones, whatever it is, you just need to make sure you get some data and, and just learn quickly and learn fast. Yeah, so, so it's, yeah. it's almost, yeah, starting out Absolutely with getting you know, the product might be 10% complete, the customer. but you're getting that valuable feedback from your, from your market, from your customers, um, and then you can make those iterations. Whereas if you went the full hog and, and developed it you know, on your own, you know, intuition to 100%, you might have completely missed it. Or even if you're 1% off <clears throat> over time that, you know, it, so it's good. It's a good message. And with MVPs, you're still, you're still gonna, you're still gonna make business too. You know I mean? Like um, our, the white to label manufacturing has evolved and changed in so many ways since starting out and we're constantly learning, but the core fundamentals of the company and the principle that we look to impose hasn't changed one bit. The, the fundamental idea of what we do as a business and how we scale with, with brands hasn't changed in the two and a half, three years we've been doing this. But the way that we deliver that product and service most definitely has because we've found what works, what doesn't work, where our audience are, what they need, what they require, how they need it. And we've been able to build this really cool almost bubble of, of our clients and a bunch of people who want to work with us. And we are very confident that our services are unmatched in the industry. And that's why we we do what we do but i think mvps are very very important in business and i would i would advise anybody who's starting out to don't run full steam ahead just test learn learn fast um and start with the bare minimum if you can build your own website do so if you can't go learn don't pay somebody to start just just test that's it awesome message that's nice brilliant okay so another subject is, is routine um and i think from previous guests it's interesting to understand their daily routine what they're up to what their week looks like so Anthony for you what is your routine like and also what is your what has been sort of key habits especially over the last 12 months with COVID that have kept you on track and have kept you motivated day day in day out yeah um mine's wake up really early so I'm I'm like 4 15 4 30 a.m wake up because I work best in the morning um I wake up I don't really have too much of like a morning routine I think you know these people say yeah I I meditate I I sit on an upside down inversion table and I go, right <laughs> you know, none of that. I wake up, I have a coffee, I get ready. And I always, um, cause my office is now in, in Basingstoke and I live in London. So I've got like a 45 minute drive to work, which is nice for me just to listen to some podcasts some audio books, get in the right frame of mind. And I also in my head kind of plan the day. Um, and then when I get to work, it's just full steam ahead. There's a bunch of things to do. Um, but I always try to deal with it as kind of methodically as possible. So I've got like a Trello board where I know exactly what's going on that day. Um, and for us, it's definitely about processes at this point in the company, because if we don't impose those now, 
we'll start slipping up. We'll, you know, we'll start forgetting things. And with so many conversations with new and prospective clients, current clients, phone calls, emails, everything, we need to keep one kind of central database where everything is held and we know what's happening. Um, I guess there's, there's a couple non-negotiables for me throughout a day, but coffee is one of them. <laughs> um, going to the gym is, is probably number two. Um, and then yeah, podcast or, or some form of audio book is number three, because there's always lapses in the day where I'm driving or I'm, it could be anything, but I'm always like, okay, cool. Let's put on a podcast. Let's, let's learn something new and, um, listen to other people's experiences and, and, and go from there. But yeah. That's almost like your, your mental workout. Um, I, I read a book, um, back in 2010 called the compound effect by Darren Hardy. It's actually a, it's quite a small book. Uh, and actually our listen, our younger listeners might, well, in fact, I think everyone can get something out of it. Uh, but, um, I started reading 10 pages of a nonfiction book every day. Um, since 2010 and it's it's changed my life in so many positive ways um and you know occasionally i've fallen off the wagon a bit um but now we've got that you know there, there are some amazing podcasts I, I do the podcasting too i think it's really it's a great way to you know you're only as good as what you know and you know it's not just the knowledge it's what you do with it but you know you, it's, from what you said earlier you're, a, you're the type of individual that can take something and then implement it and see if it works it doesn't it, you know it doesn't necessarily have to work for you but just to try these things out, um, you know, it's only going to make you stronger, isn't it? So, um, yeah, the constant learning thing is really, it's really interesting. It's very close to my heart. Yeah, no, it really is. Like you might think, oh, okay, you know, if you go for a walk, oh, that 20 minutes to listen to a podcast isn't going to do much. But as you said, if it's an hour-long podcast, you've only got to do that three days and you've finished it and then on to the next. And you've learned a lot from that that hour conversation with that person. So I, I just, I think like learning is so important and just, just consuming as much content as possible. I mean, why not? It's all free. You know, it's, you don't have to pay for it. And even if you do, there's things like Audible where you pay next to nothing every single month and you can download a book that would have cost you twice the amount. And you can do that months and months and months on end, build up the credits. You can download all the books and just listen to them. And it's there's no excuse. If you're willing to learn, you can, you can learn. I'd like to take this moment to introduce to you our sponsor, Flexi, the must-have app to track and manage your subscriptions in one place. So most of us have multiple subscriptions nowadays for things like streaming services, gym memberships and food deliveries. These are great and take the hassle out of buying everyday products that we consume regularly, but it can be hard to keep track of them. That's where Flexi comes in handy, using super secure technology to connect your accounts to see all your subscriptions in a single dashboard, putting you in control of your spending. And what's more, Flexi subscription marketplace allows you to discover new products you may love, or easy to pause, resume, or cancel in a swipe or two. So give Flexi a try, it's free to download from the App Store, or check out their website at www.flexiapp.uk. That's F-L-E-X-Y app.uk. Back to the podcast. Absolutely, it's making the time during the day, like you said, the quick 10 minutes, the quick 20 minutes there just to in soak up all the free content that's out there so much valuable stuff that's just readily available in fact can i just share one thing so i <clears throat> i listened to um, the strategy sprints uh, podcast this morning by simon severino <clears throat> if you haven't listened to them there there's some really great information there and he interviewed perry marshall who's this influential business guy um but there's one thing i want to implement from today's podcast and i'm just going to share it with it with everyone so basically his one of the things that perry marshall said was if you make more than 60k a year, and, and actually, I mean, a lot of our listeners might not be at that point yet, but um, 
he was saying everyone should have a, a virtual assistant or a, or a PA. And he he answers all his emails on his bicycle with his with his with his assistant. So he basically he's working out, and he's having the assistant go through his emails, and he's telling her how to respond. She then drafts a kind of a a template, which he then reviews, and he he might make a few tweaks and send them off. And that's how he does his emails. And I love it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna anyway. Sorry. I'm I'm gonna try it. I'll let you I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> That's, that's one of those things you have to try and it might work for you, it might not, but it, it might save you, you know, 20 minutes a day. That 20 minutes is valuable. So you, you don't know. And that's, that's comes back to the point I made earlier about just trying different things, seeing what works and, and going from there because that's the only way you can learn in business. Yeah. And he was saying that if, uh, if you couldn't afford a, you know, a PA in England, then perhaps you could hire one in the Philippines or something, you know, so it's like, and maybe it's just, you know, an hour a day or, you know, so I think anyone can try it, you know, for $7 an hour, you know, I mean, or whatever, whatever the hourly rate is. I don't know. But anyway, let's, let's try and employ local, right? I'm not- <laughs> Completely off at a tangent. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm good at that. I'm going to bring it back to Anthony. Um, a subject also I'm quite interested to understand is a bit more about sustainability. Um, now, I read something earlier that basically said that the fashion industry, the contribution to like greenhouse gas is something like 10% of the global um so i guess what what is what are you your clients fashion leaders sort of doing to to reduce their their impact and yeah what yeah just a bit about that subject would be great yeah absolutely um well it all starts with the consumer to be honest with you um you've got brands like boohoo pretty little thing um, all these companies that are pushing out fast fashion items quality of them is is poor on average they might last you anywhere from sort of one to three months in terms of the product cycle and then you go and buy another uh, I don't know. I think the statistic is it takes. I want to say I could be really wrong. I don't know. I don't want to say it's publicly unless it's really wrong. I think it's a hundred thousand liters of water to grow one kilo of cotton. I think. So I think that's statistic. Yeah, it's it's a very very high number of water in order to grow cotton. So um, in terms of like what companies are doing, it's good that there's a lot of businesses nowadays that are sustainably conscious. We get a lot of inquiries every single day from businesses who are looking to work with organic materials, sustainably grown fabrics. Um, and there's great innovation in, in product development and that side of things as well. Um, so like one of my favorite fabrics is a, is a, is a branded material called Reprieve. Um, and they're made from recycled plastic bottles. And if you go on their website, they have an actual live feature where it tells you how many re- bottles they've actually recycled to make X amount of material that they've done in the world so far. Um, I think from a product development standpoint, the issue is that there's a long way for this technology to go in terms of becoming both cost effective and accessible to particularly the smaller businesses. Um, But as I said, it all starts with the consumer. I mean, people want things faster. They want things cheaper. They want things better. Um, And unfortunately, at at this moment in time anyway, the vast majority of sustainable materials are more expensive than than generic. Um, The quality of isn't always as good uh, in, in some in some instances it is, but not always um, as good as, as, as normal materials. Um, and yeah, the minimums are really, really high, which means that it tends to only be the kind of top end businesses that are able to meet those requirements to purchase that fabric. But there's a bunch of other ways you can become sustainable as well. You know, no business in the textile industry is ever going to be 100% sustainable. So it can start as small as sea freight in their products over opposed to air freight to reduce their carbon footprint. Um, we as a business, we always see freight stuff over, um, always where possible, unless the client is insistent on air freight. We'll always try to steer them towards sea freight. Um, we plant now 25 trees for every client, for every sale we make. So with, uh, I think it's hello guys, however you say it. Um, we do that. We, you know, we 
uh, invest into like carbon offset schemes and stuff like that, just to kind of reduce our impact as a business. And where possible, we always try to source organic and sustainable materials. But it's difficult. I think I think in the next sort of five to ten years, you'll probably see a lot of a lot more companies switching that way, just as the technology catches up with the demand. Um, and I think education towards the consumers is probably the most important way to go. So people know, I don't mind spending five pound more for a t-shirt because I know that it's not used as much natural resources to, to create that product. Um, and therefore, you know, the, the impact on the environment is, is a lot less. But it's educating people to, to make them appreciate that that's why that's the case instead of just looking at T-shirt A, which is £20, T-shirt B, which is 25 and go for the cheaper option just for the sake of it. I think there is a move to um, to mindful shopping. I think consumers are being more mindful about things, aren't they? Um, there was a company that I mentioned to Peter and Harry uh, that I, I actually connected with a, a lady called Nat Natasha Frank on LinkedIn. Um, it, it's called E.ON, E-O-N. And it's all about the circular fashion movement um, and then blockchain. And, and I, I guess I'm, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around it. But I, I like the idea of, you know, figuring out where it comes from and then following the, the supply chain round. And hopefully, you know, like you'd mentioned, there's, there's, there, well, I'm sure the technology and the materials will get better. Um, but it's just, you know, having that full cycle so it doesn't end up in landfills. Um, and then, you know, so, so there's almost like that digital footprint of where that product came from and then following it through its life cycle. Uh, so I'm I'm actually interested in in the whole, yeah, uh, circular fashion movement and and how blockchain even fits with with flexi. You know, we're we're building a marketplace, and we need to be able to bring on brands that, you know, are going to hopefully leave the world in a better place. I mean, I don't know. I think every entrepreneur has a well. It's, I guess it's my philosophy, but I I believe that every entrepreneur has a responsibility to to make the world a better place. Um, and I think it's it's coming really into the spotlight now. You know, as business leaders, we have to make those tough decisions. And if it means that we have to charge more for our products, um, but as long as we educate the consumers and they, they, and it's almost finding our tribe, isn't it? You know, so someone that's just looking for the cheapest product, they might not be our customer, um, but you know, it's just that balance, isn't it? And um, just being more mindful because it's so easy to, um, that short-termism of, you know, going for the profits, you know, profit first, um, whereas actually long-term durable, sustainable, scalable businesses, I think, you know, the future of, I don't know. I think I think we're making the hard decisions now. We'll make things easier later on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 as I said, I, I think it comes back to a point we made earlier about compounding. Even if the impact we make is absolutely minuscule at this stage, over the five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, our next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years in business, it will compound. Um, and as we grow and scale with businesses, you know, again, it will, it will just it will just compound thereafter. So. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, what is also interesting is one of your points, Anthony, is that it's the consumer that is the educating them about, because I mean, fashion is changing every season, every year. You've got, like I said, the fast fashion movement. I think it's that slower fashion that's, that will hopefully be heading towards that direction. Um, but no, I think it's, it's actually interesting because I guess like it is the consumer. And one thing that, because I know AI virtual is coming in, it's obviously big investment, big money going into that. But I think there was something saying that if doing sort of VR and testing products before you actually wear them is reducing sort of return rates by sort of 35, 40%. And I think that is all super interesting, but I think, yeah, this is uh, the consumer is, 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 is we've got to change <laughs> and it's educating us about what to do. Absolutely. No, it really does start with a consumer. I mean, like if people were as sustainably conscious as they say they were, were then boohoo and pretty little thing wouldn't be as big as they are. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put a particular business under the spotlight because I appreciate their their business model is fast fashion but 
it's not sustainable. Um, and the fact that those are some of the fastest growing businesses in the UK tells you everything you need to know about people's perception towards their actions. You need you need to educate people and ensure that they follow through. But again, hopefully in, in, in the short term, these these things become more accessible and, and certain businesses start to take a, a more appropriate stance on that. Absolutely. So obviously the last year we've had COVID. Now I'd be interested to understand how that affected you, um, what coming out of the side, and obviously what then the long-term goal is for white two labeling. Where do you want to grow it to distribution, all that stuff? So yeah, just set the scene and give us a little bit about that. It would be great. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so similar to, to Matt's podcast, um, I feel kind of bad because I appreciate a lot of industries have taken a really big hit uh, due to COVID. I appreciate there's been a lot of families have suffered, people have, uh, there's been a lot of downside with the pandemic. Um, that being said, I'm also a believer of looking at the bright side of things. Um, fortunately for us, because our largest client base was all e-commerce, um, e-commerce saw its highest, highest sales in, in history. Um, people were getting more website traffic, more conversions. People were A lot of people were purchasing more product just for the sake of their at home on furlough boards, surfing the web, seeing what was what, buying stuff. And brands were taking appropriate steps and actions towards pivoting, selling more things like, for example, loungewear, um, in order to keep up with the demand of what people were looking for in that in that time. So for us as a business supplying a lot of these companies behind the scenes, um, we grew a lot. I mean, we closed 2020 trading 640% up year on year. Um, and that was down to a number of things. It was partly really good timing with the right decision making. So um, at the very start of the pandemic and the, and the lockdown, wasn't sure how we'd be impacted um, in the short term. So I was like, well, this is a great opportunity for me to focus on rebranding the business and getting a new website done. So we went from being just uh, marketing ourselves as a sole sportswear manufacturer only to rebranding new logo, completely new custom websites, so getting off of Wix, uh, building a new website that was very sort of like user end focused. Um, and then in addition to that, as I said, rebranding into like a clothing manufacturer instead of just a sportswear manufacturer. So really opening up our potential market and basically just looking forward to working on some different projects. I made so many pairs of leggings. You know how many tech packs of leggings, right? They're not fun. They're not fun to work. I was like, I want to work with the denim jackets and, you know, I want to work with these cool brands in producing something just a bit different. And from the, from the product side of things, there's not really too much of a difference. You just need to educate yourself on the materials, which is exactly what I did. The manufacturers that we worked with had the capacity to work with these different styles of items anyway. Um, so we did that at the very start of the pandemic and we, we built a new website and this website was SEO focused. This website was right. We're going to get all our H1 meta tags, alt descriptions, everything sorted, get on point. We're going to do really good keyword research. We're going to see how well SEO does for us. We went from getting... 200 300 website views a month to getting around three to four thousand a month in a matter of four or five months started compounding on that i again i do all the seo because i'm really interested in it so i learned about what keywords we need to rank for started blog posting getting all of our copy written keyword heavy everything done when we did that that was also when for whatever reason again i think it was more some people were just at home furloughed were interested in starting business we're looking into it the keywords that we were ranking for were surging through the roof. We just got so many inquiries, so many people contact us. We had to turn work away. Um, but yeah, the, the, the end of the, 
I mean, we are still kind of in and out of, of pandemic uh, uh, lockdowns right now. I wouldn't say it's over per se, but the end of 2020 marked a very, very high growth rate for us. Um, and moving into 2021, we were up over a thousand percent year on year for quarter one of 2021. Um, so yeah, the growth has been phenomenal. Unfortunately for us, when everybody else was taking drastic measures like moving out of premises, ending their leases, uh, you know, getting rid of staff, we were doing the exact opposite. So we had a lot of buying power. Um, I walked into one business who was selling like one piece of screen printing equipment back in November of last year. They was just selling one thing. And I was like, how much for all of it? <laughs> and I bought them out. Um, so every piece of equipment we have, we own, which is quite a cool thing to say. Um, don't lease any of it, no investors, no, nothing like that. Um, and yeah, we bought all of this equipment, had nowhere to store it. We didn't have a unit. So I then had to go and find a unit, sign a lease really, really quickly, negotiate my way into that. Again, quite fortunate because of no one was signing leases. So I got a really good deal. I got, I got a two-year break clause, which was quite fortunate because I knew we'd outgrow it. Lo and behold, we're outgrowing it. We've had to start going up and put boxes up on top of a shelf now. Um, but yeah, we, we had, it, it was just great timing, I think, with everything else, as well as having the business fundamentals in check. Um, I always kept a good amount of cash on hand. So I was able to go in and make these purchases of the equipment when the time was right. And then just pull my hair out with how difficult it is to do these things. I have a new profound respect for anybody who manufactures because, wow, it's difficult. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that's that. Fortunately for us, it, it, it went well, I should yeah. say, for sure. You didn't want the equipment in your flat, though. Mate, a, a one ton <laughs> embroidery machine? No. no. I, mean, we, 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 what, what I knew that I needed a premises anyway, but it was between continuing to outsource these elements and move into like a shared office space or to bring it all in-house. And I was like, I see the longevity in this. Um, I have greater control over the entire process just for quality control purposes, um, being able to meet deadlines and not being too reliant on other businesses. And I think COVID definitely reminded me of why that's a good way to be. Um, I didn't want to rely on other companies too much in case they did either go down or for whatever reason, they just stopped working with us. Um, so yeah, it was, it was the right decision to make. Um, definitely the best decision we've made in business so far. Sure. Do you have do you have clothes designers in house and and send those designs to the manufacturers and then you come back and and kind of brand them up? Is that is that the process? Do you, you have your ma manufacturers that actually create the garments and then you just um, I guess white label them? Is that is that your business? Yeah. So our business model we scale with brands. So um, if you're starting out in the industry, you want to get to market, low cost, fast turnaround time, just to test again MVP white labeling, really low minimums. Um, we'll use pre-manufactured blank items, like let's just say a blank t-shirt, brand it up for you. The end consumer would have no idea that this has been done any other way. It looks bespoke, it's got your label in, it's bagged, branded, labeled, everything's been done um, to a, a fashion brand quality, I should say retail ready, not wholesale, any of that kind of stuff. Um, and then if you are, if you either start with that and you grow and scale with us and you get to the point where you can start working with custom products or alternatively, if you are just a large client, then we can basically work with a custom supplier, work with places like Italy, Turkey, Portugal, China, and then a couple of suppliers here in the UK where we will just outsource the entire workload, but we will help with the sampling, the product development, pattern creation, size charts, everything like that. And then the, wow. the items will be custom to your spec. Okay, fantastic. And you just make it really easy for people. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I say this all the time. What we do isn't revolutionary, right? Like we like white labeling. We we just we have a catalogue, 60 items. Each product page in a clear and concise way, and I know because we spent a lot of money on the designers to get this done, so it's good. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
you know, it, it literally has two product images and it has the colors on the top right. It has what customization methods we'd recommend on that product. So if you're unsure, it says screen print in DTG as an example. Then it has the price per unit for that product and, the, and it tells you the suggested RRP. Then tells you your potential profit margin per item. It has that on every single product page broken down. So if you know nothing about this industry, all you have to do is, down, is, is request a catalog from us, go, I want products one, five, and seven. We send you samples, branded up. You approve it. 10 days later, products at your front door. You know what you're doing. Done. Fantastic. And if it's smoke, then it's a slightly different process. But that's where we as a company will, will tell you how that process works. If you need us to fill the gaps, we can do so. And what's your minimum order for, say, t like, let's say T-shirts? What so would be your minimum? Yes. White label, there's 25 pieces in each style and colour, which is a quarter of any other UK business. Okay, and I was going to say that's that's low. Yeah, low. And then and then bespoke is 100. Well, it starts at okay. 100. That, yeah, I can see. It's a great model. Yeah, and you've covered all areas. So when they first want to test it, maybe 25 pieces, and then you keep them on so then you can grow and scale with them. And that's really good because you can just keep that relationship building with them and they'll be lifelong, really. Well, we, we say to people all the time, like it, it saves you the headache. You know you're paying us, of course. But then at the same time, you're working with the UK-based team. You don't have to worry about, you know, time zones. Um, you don't have to worry about import fees, shipping, any of that, because we'll handle all the logistics for you, even on a bespoke basis anyway. Um, you don't have to worry about exchange rates. You don't have to worry about any... We just we just make the process as simple as possible. It's cut a long story. Um, but with the white label side of things, it's definitely great. It just lowers that, that kind of um, entry into the market. So most people who want to start a clothing brand can do so without having to spend thousands and thousands. Again, it comes back to MVP. You can launch a clothing brand with us. You can have six, seven different styles of items, which is a complete collection, a very big collection, as a matter of fact, for under £3,000. Amazing. Yeah, and you're, you're removing all the friction as well. So, you, yeah. And it's fast. It's so fast as well. It's quick to market. You know, we, we our turnaround times are 10 to 14 working days on products. So That's incredible. When you consider the fact that if you start on a bespoke basis, you have a couple rounds of sampling, which are three to four weeks each, you're sort of four to five months down the line. So it's the speed to market, the low minimums, just just everything tied in is, is, is what really sells our services. Yeah, and your investment in the process of the business. And it sounds like every every, every aspect of your business, you're, you, you've brought on these really slick processes that, that enables you to deliver such a, a fast and efficient service. Peter, do you have a question? Because Peter's... In the background there, I'm listening. Um, listening, taking it all in. I got some questions. Um, yeah, my first question, like Harry obviously mentioned it at the, at the beginning about awards and um, the awards you've won. I can see that on your website. You've won quite a few awards, even in recent years. Um, can you just talk about the value of entering these competitions? Like, is that something you actively search out and go and kind of find? And what is like the process generally with these awards? Like, do you have to kind of pay to enter them? Like, what? Do you have to send off, uh, I don't know, not an essay about you, but those kind of things like a video and yeah, just for anyone that hasn't ever thought about entering, like what's the value of doing that? Yeah, absolutely. It depends on your industry and your business. Um, for us, clothing manufacturing is such a sketchy sector. Um, so for us, it's very, very important to show that we're a, we're a credible company. So we have awards, we have great reviews, we have testimonials, all of them are real um, because there's so many suppliers out there who say they're working with X, Y, and Z. They're not. They have no affiliation with them whatsoever. They can either get scammed or burnt really bad. 
Um, so it depends on your industry and your sector, but the awards are great for us. Um, a lot of the awards that we've done, we have entered into. Um, every every award business is, is different. Some We don't enter any you have to pay to enter. I don't see the point in that. Um, but most of them, they'll ask you a few questions. Uh, you kind of explain your business, your concept, what you do. You can upload material for proof of accounts, that kind of stuff, if, you, if it's a financial side of things. Um, and then usually what will end up happening thereafter is um, you'll get invited to like a finest event. There you will usually have to pay. Um, but it's, it's usually quite a nice event or like maybe three course meal. You can bring sort of like your colleagues, your friends and stuff to celebrate together. Um, and that's how they make their money. And then you, you if you win, you win. If you don't, it's a still good night. And, you, you know, you still get the credential of saying you're a finalist anyway. Yeah. Um, but you are only invited if you're a finalist. Is there what kind of people have you met at these events that has kind of gone have any of them gone on to like uh, be a mentor or be useful in that kind of way? Yeah. So back in 2018, um, I met Alison Edgar um, at one of these Ipsy uh, events. It's called Independent Professionals for the Self-Employed. So I did like a Dragon's Den style pitch in front of the people there. I met her. She gave me her book. Uh, she was like, you know, this was back when I was running my, my clothing brand. And she was like, you know, here's this book, read it, this and the other. Um, long story short, she sent me a book two weeks ago, I'm in it. So she rewrote the second book and I was a case study off of the first book. Um, so it's pretty cool to, to see myself in a, in a published book. Um, but I've met a bunch of people at these events. I mean, the Digital Entrepreneur Awards, I, I was a finalist in in 20, I think it was 2019. Um, that wasn't with White 2 Label because that, that was with a different business. So that might have been 2018, actually. Um, that event I met like the owners of Missy Empire, um, the CEO of Primark, like all these were big, big, big businesses there. Um, and all the other events I've been to so far have been a little bit smaller. Um, but yeah, I've met a bunch of people, networked. I just go there and just chat to everybody, give them my business card, tell them what we do. You never know. Um, set aside an hour a week just to have conversations with people, if it's on LinkedIn, if it's on Zoom, however, network and you never know the amount of business we've made just off of referrals alone is, is ridiculous so nice. it's very it's a very good networking tool and that's what people go there for yeah that's great um you mentioned podcasts and audiobooks like quite a few times can you give me your top three podcasts whether that's it can be business related or just uh if you're just yeah. at the gym or something like that so yeah this the selection is good oh, rocket pod obviously <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um self-plug in there um Joe Rogan podcast, just because he's, he's variety of guests. It's always interesting. Um, Lewis Morgan podcast. He's the co-founder of Gymshark. Uh, really, really interesting the people he gets on. Very fashion brand orientated. So right up my street. Um, another podcast. I mean, uh, really, that those are the only two I really like consistently consume, I would say. Uh, in terms of books, wow, loads. Uh, Lean Startup by Egg Reese is a must read. Lucky Todd's got to chat to Daniel Priestley. Um, you know, oversubscribe, 24 assets, um, key person of influence, they're amazing books as well. I think the way he writes is, is really, it's really easy to read. Some of these business books can be a lot of waffle. Um, so it's, it's, it can become quite frustrating. But those three, um, what's another? That's a, we uh, Rework, Rework's a really good book, really clear and concise. Um, and Profit First by Mark McCallowitz. Very, very nice. Book. Yeah. Do you have um, a process? Uh, I was speaking to a friend about kind of listening to podcasts, and he's like, 
sometimes it feels like you're revising now because like you get so much information from it and you're like this is like going back to school and kind of revising for a test like writing notes but do you have any do you just kind of consume it or do you kind of make notes or have like an Evernote document or any of those kind of things to retain the information uh, or does it just go into your brain? Personally, I don't read books. I listen to audio audible. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I just focus if that like, it's, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah, easy yeah. to play a podcast in the background and not really be focusing mm-hmm. on the information. Uh, so for yeah. me, when I'm driving, I'm, I'm obviously focusing on driving, but I'm <laughs> um and yeah that's it really i mean i do go back and listen to things again so every sort of anywhere from sort of like maybe four to six months i'll go back and re-listen to a book um or i'll go back and listen to a a podcast again and see if i can extrapolate any additional information out of that that i didn't catch the first time around so just re-listening is probably the best way to go for me anyway yeah there's just so much value in them that yeah sometimes it just goes through you and then you're like yeah trying to record it in a conversation you can't remember what they were talking about even though you listen to joe rogan for four hours straight yeah, yeah. it depends uh, on the guest as well because some people are good at conveying that information some people aren't so it's mm-hmm. kind of hitting this awesome well looking at the time we are sadly coming close to an end but anthony just a few i've got a couple more questions so i'm going to jump these in but if you could leave our guest with a piece of advice actually i'm going to ask for two for this occasion two pieces of advice that you've maybe learned throughout your journey that maybe they're starting out or uh, losing motivation or something like that, what are the two pieces of advice you would leave them? Hard work beats talent. Um, and just become a, like, do something you, you like. I know it's so generic and so cliche, but don't don't chase money because you'll quickly realise there's not a lot in it in the very first instance. Um, do something you're really, really passionate about. Find a way to monetize it. Um, yeah, hard work always beats talent. I think you're better off without talent because you're going to work harder and there's no complacency there. So I, I, same, same with money. I don't think you need money to start business. I think you're better off having none because it forces you to become creative. I wouldn't have half the skills I have now if I had a bunch of money when I was starting out. Skills I've got are so random. I mean, I can sew, I can stitch, I can embroider, I can screen print. I never thought I'd be doing that. Um, and then, and then on the flip side, I can jump on a business call and sell eyes to an Eskimo and then do SEO right after that. So I, I think, yeah, I think definitely hard work, um, with jumps all and do something you, you, you genuinely wholeheartedly enjoy and are passionate about, and, and you'll find it a lot easier to go out there, find the information, learn and work hard. So I have a question. So if you were to sit down and meet someone for a coffee, uh, anyone, who would that be? I thought about it. It's Mike Tyson. Okay. Yeah. He's. Yeah, he's an interesting guy, isn't he? I've, have you listened to some of his podcasts? I have. I, yeah. Okay. Hotboxing podcast. That's another one I listen to a lot of. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Mike, yeah, Mike Tyson for sure. Uh, for a number of reasons. I think the guy's really, really wise, really interesting. And he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. Um, and also I love boxing. So as much as I love business, as much as I like talking about business stuff, um, I, I would love to have a conversation with him just in general. Um, but if it had to be business, then I, it would probably have to be mm-hmm. someone like Ben Francis from that. Gymshark, I think. And I guess, so for our listeners who are maybe wanting to follow your journey or are interested in your white labeling services, where can they find follow you for a start? And then where can they find out about white to labeling? Yeah, so I actually have to check my Insta. <laughs> hey, brilliant. I'm not sure my name is on Insta. My <laughs> um, Insta account is uh, ant.mela1. 
very original. Um, but white two label. So if you just type in white and the number two label on Instagram, Facebook, you can find us. Check out our website. Um, yeah, let us know if you're interested in anything. You know, drop us drop us a line. Happy to help out. Um, alternatively, if you need anything, just you know get get in touch. More than happy to to help out, have a chat, and yeah, where possible, give a little bit Excellent. of uh, advice. Well, Anthony, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, you're you're a good sport. No pun intended. <laughs> Um, and uh, no, it's been really fun. A lot, lot of great insights there for our listeners. Thank you for listening to today's conversation with Anthony. I hope you found the episode as interesting as we did. Now, thank you to our sponsor, Flexi, who is creating subscriptions to suit your lifestyle, where you can pause, cancel, or resume anytime. You can track existing subscriptions all from a single dashboard. Have an amazing week. And we'll see you next time.